what's up and welcome back to nostalgia pod giving you another week of what's going on in pop culture my name is pat sheehan joined by my trusty co-host dave martin swagger dave how you doing man i'm a trusty stem player ready for this podcast sir how are you uh i'm doing okay we were uh we were actually together this weekend tearing it up at a wedding which was a lot of fun shout out to the richmonds uh real quick i wanted to ask you because they had a live band played Mm, wide variety of music yeah what was your favorite song that they played this weekend that's a great question in general a good band they did a really good job Mm -hmm. Uh, and like you said a nice range of contemporary stuff throwback stuff throw even more retro stuff it was, it was a good really good mix huh that's tough um i didn't expect them to play levitating Dua Lipa. that was really yeah. cool. yeah although they did um, play the the baby version yeah that was disappointing for Unnecessary. sure um <laughs> yeah uh, i mean uptown funk was like their third song and i was like oh shit they're setting the bar high i you know they did a really good job they pulled it out early. Um, I, I think the moment that got everybody going, though, was The Killers, Mr. Brayside, man. I mean, how is that song still just doing that to white people at weddings? That's what it does. <laughs> That's totally what they thought of when they were making that song. That and they nailed it. White people crack. <laughs> uh, yeah, shout out to the Richmonds. Awesome time this weekend. Great to hang out with, with Buds. Um, if you want to hear us talk more about the weddings that we go to, uh, hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod. Give us that five stars of that rating on Spotify. Dave, we're going to start today. We have some music, some TV and some movies and a movie to get to. We're going to start today with uh, somebody that I saw you tweeting about. I hadn't listened to the album yet, so I went in with high expectations. This is Central C, another British rapper. And you were tweeting about him for a good reason. You, it seems like you felt like this album, this album mixtape, whatever it is, yeah. 23, uh, was a pretty strong showing for him. Is that right? That is right. Yeah, the, the second Central C mixtape, second in less than a year. Uh, Central C only been kicking it for like less than two years total, but has really blown up out of West London. Huge chart presence over in the UK just coming off a bunch of Brit Award nominations and is the the face of UK Drill right now, just a rapidly ascending force. And uh, now we have that second mixtape from him. Both of these are self-released too, which is pretty cool to see. So he's definitely uh, making making the bag here. But two mixtapes in, I think it's the, the hype is definitely warranted because he's just, I think, just bringing a really high quality to to a scene that's been getting a lot of attention already. So the fact that he's standing out, I think, really speaks to something. I felt like this album, while not my favorite album, uh, certainly had some really high moments. And, you know, it lost a little bit of momentum for me in the middle. But the beginning and the ending, I felt like had some really, really strong stretches. And what I think impressed me more was um, Central C's ability to stay true to that that drill sound that you talked about, but also kind of make it sound a little more poppy, a little bit more like radio-friendly sounding. So uh, I just was pretty impressed, especially for someone that's only their second mixtape. Tell me about the, the things that really impressed you most on this. 
Yeah, well, I think even like going back to that first mixtape, Wild West, some of the production choices are really cool because like it's still obviously like drill music. And I think like Central C's flow, his performance is really consistent as like as drill hip hop goes. But sometimes the production can, I think, stand out in in unique ways. Like back on Wild West, Loading 20's got a lot of attention. One of his first singles for like really noticeable horns within drill music. Obviously, we know drill music dark gloomy ominous sound is what you think of for like the you know the brand of drill production but i think he's he's kind of finding a way to bring something new to it in terms of the sound young chenks uh is the producer who made nine of the 15 tracks off 23 seems to have a nice uh creative cohesion going on there most famously of course would be obsessed with you his biggest hit to date which was the lead single up for this 23 tape and of course samples pink panthers is just for me pink panthers of course gigantic tiktok artist, gigantic star in 2021 so it makes sense that obsessed with you using that sample would be successful as well and that also speaks to like the more pop leaning you can get from someone still operating in that drill space um retail therapy on this new tape also yes. like really noticeable saxophone use uh-huh within that beat so i think there's just lots of cool flourishes going on here and i think if central c can continue to uh grow with his music i mean obviously there's so much to like already if he can continue to grow his individual performances on top of that like clearly the production clearly the sonic ideas are already here so i would expect uh lots of continued growth because obviously there's so much attention on him already that he's going to get you know a lot of support and i'm sure the labels are trying to knock down his door at this point but he hasn't uh bitten yet so he's taking his time, which is cool. But I, I think there's a lot of a lot of things to like song to song. I agree. Like there, there's some, you know, moments in the middle where I'm like, okay, yeah, this is just like another song I just heard. But overall, there's just a lot of I think positive qualities here. Definitely. You know, you mentioned two of the tracks I was referring to when I was talking about that more like poppy sound, retail therapy for sure. Um, and obviously obsessed with you. But Terminal Five, right before Obsessed with You, I think also has that like those horns that just feel like something you could hear on almost any radio station in the country. Um, you know, also like, like the, the gunshots, the gunshot sounds put in there just made me laugh. Cause I just thought it was like a kind of a throwback, like a, like a throwback sound to throw in there for rap, but also, I mean, his willingness to, to try things like Eurovision, you know, bringing yeah. in some non uh, English speaking people to be on the track, I thought was right. interesting. And it, it didn't feel like super out of place, even though it definitely stood out, which I thought was a, a testament to him because that song could have felt very much like, oh, I'm just going to put this like this non English speaking track out there just to kind of like see what how it goes. But it felt like it still belonged. So I thought that was pretty interesting. What did you think of that track? Yeah, no, I think it's really cool just for that reason. Like looking at the track list, I'm like, okay, there's the posse cut. Don't recognize any of these names. And you listen to it and you're like, oh, wait, the reason I don't recognize any of these names is because they're not British rappers either. Mm-hmm. Italian, uh, Spanish, I think, uh, elsewhere in Europe primarily. Uh, really cool to see something like that. Obviously a great look for all those guys too. Um, yeah, it's just an inspired thing to do. Really cool. Um I mean, even something else like Habib, the first track has a music video in that music video. He's like hiking and like on top of mountains and shit. I'm like, you know what? This is also really fucking great for a visual. Gotta, gotta be honest, simple yet effective. Uh, 
Yeah, I think honestly one of my favorite songs though, just kind of a straight uh, drill joint, uh, straight back to it, man. Something about the British accent, straight back to it. You know, it just it just sounds so good uh, on that hook, which is really catchy. So yeah, that also has a pretty classic like music video for a rapper, but it still looks pretty awesome. So mm-hmm. uh, I agree, definitely one of the standout tracks to me as well. Yeah. Drill when it hits, it really just fucking hits, man. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Any, Any other last, standouts? You know, I just shot out the last track, end of the beginning, co-written and co-produced by Dave, arguably the biggest uh, UK rapper right now. Obviously, that's a really meaningful co-sign. But yeah, I'd say uh, Central C, man, uh, get on board because they're, they're already on board in the UK. So uh, we just got to see where it goes now because uh, it, it, the bona fides are here. They're, they're established. We'll be adding uh, a track or two to our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist. Follow that on Spotify. Let's move on to Earth Gang. Uh, dropping, I guess this is their second album technically, but I mean, in terms of projects, they've right. been doing a lot of stuff. Second um, Dreamville album. Second Dreamville album. Um, they've been putting out uh, Spillage, Spillage Village uh, records, mm-hmm. or which, you know, or I guess only one, but... Um, or is it, they've done two? Uh, there's a they had like the debut Spillage Village album Spillage in, in 2020, yeah, and there yeah. was like other like Spillage Village mixtapes back in the day. Just like there's a myriad other Earth Gang projects, of course, when around their lat their first mirror uh, when their first Dreamville album Mirrorland came out. We also had Revenge of the Dreamers three, the Dreamville label album. So Earth Gang's uh, been pretty busy uh, the past three years or so. That that that's without question probably you know the, the third third pillar of dreamville or third or fourth pillar of dreamville artists you know j cole jid earth gang Artie lennox that's kind of your big big four right now so uh i feel like they just they really settled in to being part of dreamville and at this point they seem really comfortable and confident in, in their music and their sound and this this new record ghetto gods uh kind of doubling down on like we're an Atlanta Atlanta duo and we've been making Atlanta trap for a long time but we still have our own spin our own voice and that's pretty evident on on this second Dreamville album so I don't know if I was wowed though like it didn't necessarily change my opinion of Earth Gang but it's it's definitely more Earth Gang it's not like they took a step back yeah, you know, I think I, I don't know if I would say wowed is the right term but I definitely just left being like this is a really solid track or a really solid uh, project project i should say um <laughs> you know a couple of of songs particularly stood out but there were also some like head scratching moments and just kind of like I'd, i'm not really sure what to make of this and i think that's kind of what earth gang goes for you know like their whole aesthetic is they they're really solid but they they do things that uh, are certainly unique even like the uh the cover of the album has this like very like creepy vibe to it. These kids on a chain chain link fence, their eyes are glowing. There's more of them in the background kind of faded out. Um, So that, you know, they're they're definitely going for something here, which uh, I don't know if it totally lands, but I definitely really liked some of these songs. (laughs) One of the first songs that stood out to me was actually the third track, Billy with uh, future. But it's funny because I think if you just chop off the future part, the track the track is fucking awesome you know once once he comes in i just i, just, I literally just hit skip because i was like this just how he didn't need it 
I don't know. Did you feel the same way? Yeah, totally. Future sounds like he's on a different song. Mm-hmm. There's like a bit of a beat switch and his yes. flow is completely different. You know, mumbling, doing doing future things as you expect. It just doesn't match the high energy, high, uh, up-tempo verses you just got from uh, Olu and Wow Great on the rest of the track. I, li- I like the flows. I like the verses. I still don't love the Billy hook, though. I feel like if that hook was something else, wasn't quite as repetitive, that would be like a one banger you know when you chop off future still though the 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 verse were good enough i think that's still my favorite track on this i think despite some some quibbles i have but yeah Yeah. it's funny like to have like you have future i understand why he's there again atlanta guys atlanta record atlanta sound why not have the biggest guy in atlanta makes sense but like it just doesn't doesn't match no it doesn't match at at all Yeah, no, so uh, that one stood out to me, and then immediately you get the the Jid and J. Cole uh, team up with Earth Gang on Waterboys, which I think is also a really solid track and just kind of allows all of them to do their own thing. Um, You know, once again, like, I hear Jid and I hear J. Cole, and I'm like, yeah, they're always solid when they pop on, but I I don't think the track blew me away like I was kind of hoping it would when I first saw them on it. Yeah, not not quite to the level of some of those past J. Cole features mm-hmm. in the past few years leading up to the offseason where he was like completely untouchable, uh, even though he says, you know, no more offseason on that mm-hmm. on that verse, uh, you know, probably B plus tier yeah. Cole feature, given what we've had. I also wanted more from Jit on that, honestly. And, uh, you know, we had that lead single from him, Surround Sound, earlier in January. Really looking forward to that next Jit album just in general. Um, and, and this this feature definitely left me wanting more. That's for sure. Um, what other tracks stood out to you? Yeah, I thought Amen was pretty yeah. good. Music Soul Child, really good chorus on that. I think that one stands out. And yeah, that's probably the best one. I guess um, All Eyes on Me, kind of a shorter track, but I really like the Earth Gang verses on that one too. Mm-hmm. But um, I liked, yeah, go ahead. I liked Lie to Me. Uh, I felt like it had like a funkier vibe to it. Just really stood out from the rest of, of it. Um, actually, I'm trying to figure out like which artist it kind of reminded me of. It almost, uh, uh, I don't know. I'm like blanking on it. Maybe like a ghost face, you know, type mm, of thing. I don't know. Sure. Like vibe to it. Um, but yeah, the the rest of the album just kind of left me with some head scratchers. I, I guess Ari Lennox at the end coming in on for Run to the Closer it's always nice to hear her show up. I feel like she's just, you know, kind of always bringing the same stuff and it's always really good. But the track I really wanted to ask you about, probably the second, uh, third and fourth most famous people on this, Nick Cannon and CeeLo. I guess maybe Nick Cannon's the most famous person on this. I don't yeah, know. Perhaps. Um, <laughs> Power. What did you think of that track? That was just a total head scratcher to me. Yeah, d- definitely a weird one. You know, it- kind of like the future feature in theory having CeeLo green you know another pioneer of atlanta rap obviously dating way back uh would have made sense if the song was different but <laughs> it doesn't really uh hit the way they intended i don't think and nick cannon it's like i don't think we need nick cannon waxing about much of anything given how uh, <laughs> hectic his personal life is all the time so yeah, yeah. It, not not the message i think uh was intended that's at least didn't land for me yeah you know it's funny when you hear when you see CeeLo do you think about him rapping 
not, well, no, not lately. I mean, this is like 15 plus years ago. You'd yeah. have to be thinking of so. And any 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 young people listening that probably have no no knowledge of that, you know. But like you know, CeeLo is you know Dungeon Family, like really like OG sure. Atlanta stuff. If you if you go back, <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, I was almost expecting him to do the the Charles Barkley stuff and be singing the hook on this when I first saw it. But right, yeah, you know, it was interesting to get that. Um, any other thoughts on Earth Gang or? No, I mean, just kind of like Mirrorland. It's like I, I never love their full lengths, but like there's always moments or individual songs that I always really appreciate about them. And even if I never like love what they do, it's still really cool because like they clearly have their own voice and outlook on their music. And Dreamville seems to be a great home for them. So really happy to see that. And also just a cool note, um, this album was supposed to come out on January 28th and they push it back a month. And the interim, they actually were kind of performing this th- these songs on Ghetto Gods at a bunch of shows for like you know their most loyal fans as like you know sneak previews, viral marketing kind of thing. So that's cool. But yeah, it's uh, at the end of the day, to me, it's it's just more Earth Gang. Yep, more Earth Gang for sure. Uh, we also got more Kanye West this weekend, and you talk about viral marketing, Dave. Hey. Uh, this is Donda too, which we were told was going to come uh it came uh but not in the 222 way that, 22 but not in the way that most albums come you know um kanye dropped this on uh what was it called uh, stem player stem player. proprietary music device basically that had previously existed yeah but uh yeah eschewing digital streaming platforms because as Kanye put it, uh, they they keep most of the money, and the labels get the money too. And you know, on one hand, that's consistent with how Kanye has been talking lately about the industry and artists not getting their fair share. However, and in the process, he self-released this album. That's probably the way he was able to do this without putting it on you know major platforms. On the other hand, though, asking your fans to buy a two hundred dollar device to listen to the album legally, as the artist intended, is also not really the solution you know so it's uh perplexing and uh a, a new new way for uh yay to virally market himself i suppose i don't know but um if you're not interested in 200 hundred dollar stem players there, there are other methods as i'm sure people are aware and there was a uh a concert on i think it was valentine's day as well and right. i don't in, know uh, in miami There's- there's all this stuff, you know, it's like put on IMAX, you can stream it through YouTube, a lot of hype around this. Um, and then I guess like initially like four tracks released and the next 12 are released. Yeah. I don't know. If you can hear my voice, I've had very little time for this Kanye shenanigans this time around. Not only was I not super interested in hearing Donda too, just from the start, especially after the first Donda, while having some some highs it has left me mostly just like disappointed yeah. in what we got. And I know that you are in that same boat with me, but then, you know, uh, Kanye has been very much public with his relationship with Julia Fox recently just feels like whenever Kanye is rushing the music out, it's never good anyway, at least recently. So wasn't super excited for this. And now we've gotten uh, Donda to Dave. I mean, Whoa. is this is was this worth it <laughs> I don't know. well no i mean like you said it he's been he's done this a bunch of times 
but he arguably did it in the worst fashion yet. But Kanye West once again rushed out a record. And in this case, ask the people who saw the live show in Miami. I mean, there was myriad sound issues with that. Even the, the, the live event was rushed in a certain sense. Just basic stuff wasn't right. Like the cues for people coming in were wrong. The bass levels were completely off. Um, disappointing, again, because flashback to just December, post-Donda, post, uh, in December, him and Drake did that Larry Hoover concert in L.A., which you can watch on Amazon. And that got a huge reception. People really liked that. It's really cool. And, you know, I like the classic, you know, like like a unique visuals for Kanye doing his sermon on the mount effectively, but still playing basically all the hits that everyone loves, right? Even when Future brought him out of Rolling Loud LA in December, comes out to Can't Tell Me Nothing. Fucking great. He still sounds awesome. But then Julia Fox stuff happens, which is fine on his face, but the Julia Fox stuff happens. The Pete Davidson stuff happens. The Kim stuff continues. And then an album's supposed to come out. I've been seeing all the Julia Fox stuff. He ain't been in the studio, man. He's been a fucking fashion week. Yeah. He's been been a famous person. And I feel like you, we can count how many sessions he did because there's only so many photos. And you, you get what you put in, you know? And like he he he's just not operating at a high enough level right now to have this kind of lack of tact and like approach in the case of donda last year as we said in our review youtube.com slash nostalgia pod in the case of donda he couldn't censor himself he couldn't cut down the bloat and he got in the way of some some cool moments and some cool ideas this time around he just didn't give himself time to come up with enough ideas it's kind of the opposite problem i mean there's tracks on donda too where he's barely on the song in the case of songs that have features and it's just really perplexing. And this is clearly worse than Ye. This is worse than Jesus is King. This is the worst Kanye record. But it, it should have been the worst Kanye record because he clearly barely tried on this one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you summarized it well. I mean, I, I guess I'm just sitting here thinking where, like, the guy, and, and this is a question that we can't really um answer and i don't, really don't want to look into but just thinking about when we first started the podcast one of the reasons we wanted to start it when we did was life of pablo was supposed to be dropping we want to do a deep dive into life of pablo and be talking about that record uh and we had to wait for it because kanye was in the studio making sure things sounded perfect now is pablo a perfect album without any blemishes or bloat no i mean it's the beginning of late stage kanye where you're getting a lot of music and not all of it is good, but he at least at that point really cared about what he was putting out, making it sound interesting, uh, you know, mixing in new and inventive sound with the old school chopping up the the samples and mixing things together in ways that no one had ever heard. This is just uninteresting music at this point, and it, you know, at least with the Kanye record, even on Donda, there were moments where things sounded very uh i don't know uninventive but mm -hmm. there were there were also moments when you left and you were like holy shit like that's that's a fucking music moment and i i think i had maybe like two or three moments on this where i was like okay that track sounded competent and that's right. really disappointing yeah i know i mean last year even though i didn't like donna as an album hurricane featuring the weekend little baby was my song of the year like 
he still has it in him sometimes, but don't think any of those times really showed up on this. Like, there's some cool things I noted. I thought the the Kim sample on sci-fi actually was pretty enjoyable. Kind of smart uh, use of that, even if he he cuts her off before uh, Kim explains why she would be divorcing Kanye. Regardless, I think that was a nice sample. Uh, Get Lost, cool like vocoder vocal effects, I guess. Um, I just wrote dot 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 next to them. I know because I, I don't even know if if that's cool or not. It's just like, yeah. silence with a uh, distorted vocals. Uh, right. Okay. I mean, honestly, my favorite track on this is "We Did It, Kid," with Baby yeah. Keem, Quavo, and Offset. Uh-huh. But that's this track where Kanye is literally there for like three bars. Yep. And why would he ever put out a song like that? Honestly, it's an awesome Migos performance. Quavo mm-hmm. and Offset sound great, going back and forth, bar for bar. Obviously. Kanye censored them, but they still sound awesome and completely steal the track. Do we uh, just need Kanye to produce a, a Migos album at this point? Is that what we need? Perhaps Migos could certainly use the switch of uh, switching up the juice a little bit too. <laughs> yeah, but on the other hand, like we we have two XXS Tentacion features that's coming off of X being featured on Yandi Leaks track that never came out. I mean, X died over three years ago, man we're done with these. There's nothing left. Like they don't add anything because they the orange has been juiced. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We did. It was by far the, the track that stood out most to me. City of gods, uh, been released as the lead single with five EO four. And I think five EO sounds great on it. Honestly. Yeah. Uh, good really on, uh, off the grid from last year. Really yeah. excited for that upcoming album from five EO more than anything else. Yeah, and really, I think a really cool nod. Apparently, uh, when he first got this track from Kanye, he said, um, like, I'm not the king of New York. Kanye told him that you have to say you're the king of New York. And then he gave the, you know, Pop was the king of New York. Now I'm in charge line. Just yeah. iconic, you know, that's a fucking way to pay tribute to Pop and also establish yourself or at least lay your claim. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the only other tracks that really, like, I found even somewhat worth talking about is Pablo too. I kind of liked Pablo. Um, Thought it was all right. (laughs) I mean, I'm really like stretching to get anything Mm -hmm. else here, but everything just fell very flat. I'm keep it burning. One of the songs with future. I'm keep it burning. There's like a talking heads sample burning down Mm. the house, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the, the bar is very high for Kanye using samples in cool ways. So it's more like, hey, look, there's a sample, you know, more than anything else. It's not like it was amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, you got a Soldier Boy feature at the end, first time in a long time. That's just notable because Soldier Boy got really mad when he didn't make Donda. He had laid a verse down for remote control. Kanye pays it back now, but it's not like it's a good song or anything. Um, also, Soldier notable, Boy, like right now, uh, him and Cuddy have fallen back out, which is just sad, you know. Hopefully he stays on good terms with Drake, I guess. But yeah, Cuddy is I mean, the only uh, only thing that's made Kanye's uh, records worth really noting in recent years with Kids See Ghosts, man. I mean, yeah, Father Stretched My Hands. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's really sad. I mean, what did you think of Louis Bags? You know, kind of saying we don't buy Louis Bags since yeah. Virgil died. I stopped buying Louis Bags after Virgil passed. Awesome line, but it's not a hook. Like, yeah. you didn't write the rest of the song. Ugh. I'll just... Frustrating. Yep. I mean, so, at this point, uh, who knows what we're going to get from Kanye. Uh, probably his most unpredictable 
uh, right now. Um, does have you know, like like we said, Julia Fox has his muse. Like she I was... think they've they've already split. Actually, oh, it's really? already stopped. <laughs> yeah, like Never last mind. week or something. Yeah. Uh, just so the the best thing we got from that by far is her quote to uh, call her daddy. Uh, I was Josh Safdie's muse in Uncut Joms. Uh, just a all time TikTok. <laughs> uh sound so shout out to to yay for that i suppose uh but yeah i i kind of just wanted to go away for a while like you know mm-hmm. to, to take some time uh take care of yourself figure out your your shit with kim or your your own stuff and whatever you're directing towards your ex-wife and come back maybe inspired later on i don't know right uh, you know just a quick like anecdote uh as I'm preparing for my own wedding, I was like, which Kanye song am I going to pick out? And me and my fiance took like a half hour yesterday just playing Kanye songs and like, oh, this one would be fucking great to drop. I want to <laughs> hear this one. Uh, and it's all 2016 and earlier. Right. Like, uh, I don't know Obviously. if there's anything worth uh, caring yeah. about this guy at this point. Check out our artist. Right. I agree. Check out our Kanye West album rankings. YouTube.com is Nostalgia Pod. We talked a lot more about the albums we like a lot more than Donna too. So, uh, yep. yeah. I and mean, one last note too, um, calling this Donna too kind of stupid because like, there's nothing about his mom on this, which was not, which actually was the case on Donna one, despite its problems, there was still a lyrical through line there. Not the case with Donna two stupid name, but yeah. Uh, I mean, the fact that it costs $200 and is not easily clickable on Spotify is probably for the best because less people are going to hear it and be disappointed. Uh, another thing that's been disappointing us, Dave, is Killing Eve uh, in recent seasons. You know, funny enough, uh, watching the premiere of season four, I realized I don't even remember much of season three at all. Like, I don't even, did we even do an end of season three review? Oh, we did, yes. And people watched that one quite a bit. Thanks for that. Uh, but it was almost two years ago. It, it came, it ended in like spring 2020. So it had been a while, obviously, COVID delays. But uh, yeah, I also need some refreshing on the plot comings and goings of Killing Eve, because as we expounded upon last time around, Killing Eve has jumped the shark in a certain sense uh, with the plot, especially, but even just like the overall like structure of the, the series. And we're, we're very far from the central conceit of season one, which made season one so excellent, the cat and mouse thriller. You know, it's kind of ballooned past that with a larger cast and a greater emphasis on Villanelle as like a co-lead. So season four, too early to say if we're going to get that fixed, it's the final season also. But um, yeah, I mean, I was coming in with low expectations just because I was really disappointed in seasons two and three. Well, how did the premiere? Uh, how did the, the the premiere meet like fit in with those expect expected? Um, I don't know, liking or not liking of the season. Like, did you feel like it maybe brought you in a little bit more, or did it kind of just do more of the same? I am interested in. There seems to be a, a maybe a slight shift of the focus back to Eve a little bit. I'm not. Maybe it's too early to say that because there's still a lot of villanelle in this, but. It's almost like they're kind of flipping the script and like Villanelle is trying to like completely remove herself from her assassin past, whereas Eve is like super focused on, you know, the detective work and determining where the 12 are and stopping them and all that shit. 
and I just don't know if the dynamic is gonna like get back to what it was because the original premise was was simple, but it was just so so flawless. And like it was kind of like a less is more thing with Jody Comer as Villanelle, whose performance is so good. And like I don't know if I'm like super invested in like Villanelle going through her inner turmoil and like figuring out her new purpose in life. On the other hand, it is cool to see her basically having visions of herself as Jesus. Like that that, that is kind of inspired. So maybe it'll just get weirder. I guess that that's something. Yeah. Um you know, I, I gotta say, I just I don't even know if I really understand how we got to where we got with Eve. <laughs> you know, like uh, she starts off and she's, you know, she's working for the uh, was it my um, my five my five not anymore my, not in black uh, yeah not anymore. But when we first meet her in the first season, she is and right. But she's really not like a badass. She's kind of like no. behind the scenes person, and now she's like riding up on a motorcycle to like. Uh, like town hall in some other country and like shooting uh, what's his name yeah Constantine to the hand like ruthlessly (laughs) I I don't know man like she's when I saw that I thought it was a dream or something I didn't know it was supposed to be taken literally I was like oh shit she's like now she's on working for some third-party security firm or something and taking matters into her own hand and okay I guess so um I mean, she'd done. She'd been active in seasons two and three, kind of you know, jet setting around, doing things. But um, I guess there's more of a combat f- emphasis now. We'll see. Yeah, it's just it's, it's just tough, man, because like the plot, it just was just so off the rails in season three. There were so many extraneous characters that just didn't land and took too much time away, and it was just a, a general bloat. And meanwhile, the overall like big bad of the twelve is just so lackluster and faceless and hopefully like Camille Cotine's presence who she was in season three too hopefully she can like add some kind of like face and like presence to the villainy because once Villanelle stopped being the main face of the villainy I I just kind of lost it you know it's like and Carolyn with you know going back to Russia now taking matters into her own hands again defecting in a certain sense like I mean, do you it's even just, really care about the six or the 12? No, I mean, no we've no never had a chance to care about them. We, we like, you know, it's, it's just what like Carolyn and Constantine have told us. It's, it's, it's always been so nebulous. And now it's been such a big focus of like the plot for so long that like I was skeptical of it paying off in a meaningful way. I think a lot of people that like this show and still watch this show probably just like, really like it for even Villanelle. And those performances from Sandro and Jodie Comer, but they're they're even like their their cat and mouse thing is completely gone now, and it's kind of like this. It's about like their obsession with each other, and for me, that's always been so like hazy and undefined that it's really it's just kind of a fascinating journey. The show has been on honestly four showrunners, four seasons, and just to see where it started and now where it is, it's just. It's just very, very interesting, but not necessarily for good reasons. Yeah, no, for sure. It's the sort of thing where it feels like it would have been a really, maybe a really solid two season run. Like, but because it's been so successful after that first season, uh, I think they just have been trying to stretch it out as much as possible. And very, uh, I'm, I, I just have to say, I'm 
very not interested in season four, but we will most likely watch and uh, update you when we get to the end. Um, any any moments from the first episode that stood out to you? I guess like you mentioned the uh, you know Villanella's Jesus or God or whatever right. that's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, her also almost killing the person there and then reviving her. I thought it was like right. a interesting moment. I don't even know what else. Like what else? No. It's weird because, like, you expect the first episode of the fourth season to, like, set your table a little bit. Like, how, like, Marvel's Mrs. Maisel season four kicked off. But, like, I feel like so, like, not too much happened, but I'm still kind of confused. Like, there's, there's like, by design, like, an unexplained amount of time passing. But then we're with Villanelle and all these brand new people we haven't met before. And it just feels like, okay, this is just placeholder stuff for Villanelle before she actually gets back to the people we already know because these people at the church obviously don't don't matter so yeah it's weird man I, I guess I like the beginning with, with uh Eve shooting Constantine even if it really took me for a loop there and I mean in general I just like Comer because the performance here is always so like you know wide-eyed as Villanelle so I still like watching that, but I, I mean, the way to land this plane is to get back to the name of the show, get back to the conceit of season one, which was, you know, the titular killing Eve. And I'm just skeptical that they actually are going to go down that road. I am as well, but um, we can only hope and uh, we'll be talking about it as we get there. Let's uh, let's move on, though, to HBO, which if you want to watch Jodie Comer be good in something. Uh, the last duels on HBO right now. So watch that watch shit. Her in that. Um, and if you're on HBO, hopefully you're also watching The Righteous Gemstones because season two wrapped up last night. And uh, we talked about the premiere and just how the show feels like it kind of flies under the radar as one of the, the best comedies on TV. Not that there's a lot of really standout comedies right now. And I think season two just further solidified that and um you know i was really i was really surprised at some of the the twists and turns of the season and like the the character exploration and growth that that came from this season and just overall was really impressed with uh the the show i mean one of the comments (laughs) we we got in our premiere video was about all these like storylines from the end of season one that didn't come back for season two were kind of just like fell off and how there's like the continuity issues of it i don't really have a problem with you know a a comedy taking some liberties with you know letting some storylines fall you know to the wayside to uh get the jokes off or set up certain situations that could be funny but i do feel like the writing in this show deserves some credit for the way that it just uh made some of these characters a little more likable and a little bit more fully formed this season. And so I was impressed with that. How, how about you though? What, what was your take on season two? Yeah, I agree with that. I, you know, I think it's just impressive that righteous gemstones, which in a sense after season one has a like familiar trappings as a Danny McBride, Jody Hill, David Gordon green, you know, dirtbag dude comedy. Like we, you, you've, feel like you understand what that kind of comedy series from those guys is but gemstones in season two has really like blossomed into still being really funny 
but there's there's a lot of I think solid like dramedy elements going on here and then just like nods to like genre like there's a lot like crime caper stuff is a huge part of gemstone season two and it's super fun and real and like the plot is is enjoyable to see everyone go through this because as you said they're really paying things off with these characters and really building up this ensemble and along the way it's still really hilarious so i really don't know how you can quibble with this because i just have such a blast watching the show and it's great that like obviously we know how funny danny mcbride is we know how funny adam divine is but like Edie Patterson has just absolutely blossomed as a comedic force on this show. And uh, Tim Baltz as well is so good as, as BJ, her husband. Like I, I just, I love this cast and I'm just so in with these, these creators. It's already been renewed for a season three. I cannot wait to see where it goes. You know, I, who know, who knows what will happen. I'm sure they'll maybe bring in another familiar face like they did with uh, Eric Andre this time around. But uh, I mean, I think it's just such a blast to to just go through the the ups and downs of the Gemstone family, which which totally. is I think a, a great quality because on its face they're unlikable people, as you know, asshole, uh, privileged mega church people that take advantage of people you know uh, who follow them. On its face, you're not supposed to like these people, and you probably still don't like these people. But I really enjoy watching them do what they do. Yeah, no, totally. I, I I agree with that, and also just wanted to shout out Cassidy Freeman, who's uh, Jesse's wife. Uh, yeah, Danny, Danny McBride's scene partner in a lot of these, and uh, she was also a revelation this season. Um, and you know, getting getting John Goodman to really just like star in this season. I mean, uh, it, it gives everybody the the rock for a good amount of time, but this really is like the John Goodman story, really filling in Eli's right. backstory. Uh, where he came from and how some of his past has come up to cause some problems for him in the present here. And Goodman kills it. I mean, they, <laughs> they do a flashback episode where he's supposed to be like 45 and it's like, okay, you are obviously not a 45 year old John Goodman, <laughs> but overall, I mean, I, I think a lot of it was just fantastic and he's still, he can still hit the upper nineties when he needs to. So mm-hmm. really enjoyed getting a lot of him this season. Yeah, like season one, season two has an interlude episode where it's like a big flashback about mm-hmm. like your core cast there. Uh, I thought this one worked just as well as the last one did too, which I believe was when you got like all the stuff with the mom. Yeah. Like, for, in the, for the first time. Yep. Yeah. Um, also, I hope uh, Skylar uh, Gisando as mm-hmm. Gideon Gemstone stays on the uh, the show. You know, one, one of uh, Jesse's sons, just because he's kind of like a rising, you know, like Hollywood yep. actor. Obviously, he's in the Grish Pizza and a bunch of other stuff. So, Hopefully he sticks around because watching him just kind of like be the guy kind of outside the family, but still with the family, I think is an important part there. And even if there's like stuff that's like kind of like, you know, superfluous to your plot, more or less having uh, Kelvin and Keith do all that God squad stuff. is just <laughs> fucking hilarious, dude. Like <laughs> just, just, just a brilliant idea. And I really yeah. like in episode eight, how, um, when Calvin like kind of like takes back the house, it's an obvious nod to like Jesus cleansing the the temple. Yeah, it's scripture, yeah. you know. No, totally. I, I was gonna say that was one of I, at first I was very skeptical of that as like a, a side storyline. I thought it might get played out pretty quickly, but I really think the way that they like uh, not only made it where they have like the incident where they the human pyramid falls apart, and then everybody sort of starts questioning him. 
Um, and then <laughs> you get uh, Tony Cavallaro as Keith uh, stepping in for him because he's injured to carry the cross and just totally failing. I-, I thought all that was just hilarious. Also, just like the whole like, this is what happens when you have too many alpha mouse together. You know, they-, they start eating each other. Like, I just thought it was like a great way to frame it. Um, and that was great. Obviously, the stuff with uh, Edie Patterson and, and uh, Tim Baltz is, you know, they, they bring in um, BJ's family. I thought was really right. hilarious. Yeah. Like, yeah. So like <laughs> secular family. Yeah. They're, they're mad. Cause uh, you know, even though they're my brothers, they never going to have a shot at getting this again. I just, <laughs> 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 the whole confrontation with Edie and, and BJ's sister was fucking hilarious. I mean, Judy and, and BJ's sister was hilarious um, to me. Uh, also uh, I thought BJ had really nice character arc this season you yeah, know he was kind of just played off as like the dim-witted supportive husband for a lot of it and just kind of being pushed around in the way that you kind of get like the moment where eli shakes his hand i thought it was really nice also when he, when he's on the beach and he gets shot and he's like it's not that bad and he takes his hand away and the blood just comes <laughs> gushing out of me <laughs> just really got me for some reason wait did he say i'm part of the family yeah <laughs> is he bargaining for my life right now uh, so good uh also shout out to uh, macaulay culkin really um surprising but yeah. i thought like effective and nice cameo really uh mm-hmm. you know playing um uh billy uh baby billy's son uh Harmon, yeah. who he just abandons. and uh walton goggins you know kind of the, the forgotten character on the show for a lot of the season i thought had a, a nice couple episodes at the end him peddling that magic water, you know, the serum. Yeah, it's effective against COVID. Uh, really <laughs> interesting. So, yeah, the the show's great. I mean, if you if you can get past the fact that kind of like Succession, these are not people that you're going to like and just kind of enjoy it for the, the situations and the the jokes of it. Um, right. You know, this is seriously one where you're laughing at the people all the time, so you can enjoy it. But why don't we move on to something that's a little bit uh, less funny? but also on HBO uh, euphoria wrapping up last night as well. And uh, you know, euphoria, when we, we talked about the premiere, there was a lot that we're interested in. Obviously they kind of were setting up that this was going to be a big season for Fez. It seemed and his character mm-hmm. arc um, right. got, the, the, got the cold open for Fez kind of acknowledging that he's a bigger part of the mm-hmm. series than he had been in season one. And uh you know, I think some of the questions I had about Euphoria, you know, is this going to continue to be a show that's all uh, the style over substance uh, type of deal? Um, I, I I left this season with that, that question being kind of, you know, the answer to that question being kind of for me. Because I do think that Euphoria at times will uh, make choices that are, you know, for shock value or for... Um, you know, just because it looks cool. And that's kind of like the, the Sam Levinson thing at this point. That's kind of his, just what he is. But I, I do think some of the the storylines brought uh, to a, a point with Lexi's play at the end uh, added a little bit more substance to the season than I had originally expected. And it really left me very satisfied. How did you feel about season two? I agree. I, I was very satisfied with season two. And I think the play, our life, you know, Lexi's play, that is an acknowledgement from Sam Levinson, who writes everything for the series. That's an acknowledgement from Sam that he is self-aware. 
he understands what people say about the show. And it's not the first time he's done this. You know, he's kind of broken the fourth wall in a certain sense with literally calling out his critics via John David Washington's dialogue in Malcolm and Marie earlier last year. He's done this before. But I think this is a much more effective use of this kind of idea to kind of present everything that the show is about and everything people think about the show in like this kind of honest, like in your face way with Lexi's play. And I think it's just kind of like a really ballsy thing to do in your series. And, you know, throughout season two, we stopped getting the traditional cold open about a specific character. We got one about Fez. We got one about Cal. Those are both really great. Then we just stopped getting them at all, as if we kind of didn't need to get get them for anyone else, basically. The show got a lot more formless by the end of season two, and that really impressed me. I think the play is kind of your central organizing yeah. thing to kind of bring the show to this point. And, you know, you acknowledged, um, you know, Fez kind of like setting up this to be a, a bigger Fez season. But I was really impressed with Dominic Fike on this show. I actually think Dominic Fike's performance on this is perhaps better than his debut album from 2020, which left me disappointed. I thought he was awesome as Elliot. I was really uh, impressed with his character and just his acting. And uh, there was some criticism on Twitter for uh, the fact that his song in the finale was, you know, he did the full song, you know, on the guitar. Meanwhile, you know, Maddie barely gets to beat up Cassie. Like, we don't don't get that, but we get a lot of Elliot's song. I understand that critique. But overall, I was quite impressed with uh, Fike kind of bringing some brand new character to life like that. That was really fun. Yeah, I agree. And uh, literally when he played, when he started singing in general, but when we got the uh, the full song, I just was like, yeah, this they, they weren't going to go the, the season without slipping something uh, something in like this. So it, it is what it is. I agree. I think Fike was great. I think obviously the performances on this are all really really high level um you know you think about someone like sydney sweeney who even from from the first episode uh is just so magnetic and obviously attractive but the way that her arc uh as cassie just kind of going and um going and trying to yeah spiraling thank you um throughout the season with her relationship with Nate and being caught in this abusive relationship where this guy is saying everything that you want to hear, preying on your insecurities um, and literally seeing her physical transformation throughout the season, I thought was uh, amazing. I mean, she goes from being like the most beautiful character on the show to like looking like a clown by the end of the season. Um, I thought the, the choice in the final episode by Levinson to, uh, have her walk on stage as her the character playing her in the play was about to do some like masturbation scene on a carousel horse and then uh, someone in the crowd to say show us your boobs and to, you know basically acknowledge like the grotesque nudity that really isn't like necessary uh, right. for her this season I thought was um, at least an acknowledgement of maybe yeah. some of the, the choices that didn't work this season and I really just think um, that final look that she gives when she's talking with um uh got a, a maddie about yeah 
her really how Nate broke up with her and she's like yep this is just the beginning for you <laughs> and like that face is just like so perfect and you're just like wow this is one of the most talented up and coming actresses I feel like in Hollywood really was yeah. impressed with her oh yeah well she, I mean she was also awesome in in White Lotus doing a completely right. different performance I think if you look under the hood Sydney Sweeney's not just a pretty face she's definitely talented I mean, even the small role in big time adolescence I think she's proven herself like oh, as yeah. a performer by now um yeah yeah i mean after she gets exposed for like being with you know uh, nate and kind of betraying uh maddie i love that scene where she's having the breakdown at home she's like i'm not the bad guy and then lexi just matter of factly well you're not the good guy either <laughs> you know <laughs> such yeah. good shit uh um, I, I wanted more alexa demi this season i i just love her as maddie i think the line readings she does it, it, the performance is like super fine-tuned it's really good yep. i mean obviously big meme from uh, the bathroom scene early in the season bitch you better be joking mm-hmm. just perfect and i understand why people were like no we want to see more of that fallout you know of this friendship deteriorating due to mm-hmm. really ca- what, ca- what cassie uh got up to you know she obviously has a lot of culpability with how that went I really um, loved all the stuff between um, Alexa Demi and Mika Kelly this season. Yes. You know, and Mika Kelly, what, 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 a, what, a, what another caster, you know, bringing Mika Kelly in. And apparently she wasn't even supposed to really have that many scenes, maybe like one or two. And they just had such good chemistry. And Mika Kelly was just uh, giving such a great performance. They wrote in some more scenes, especially that like scene in the pool with her, yeah. you know, totally. uh, I thought was um, really great um, you mentioned the stuff with Cal and Eric Dane this season and I thought that cold open in that whole I think it was episode four when uh, they they look at Cal's life and just like the secrecy and the abuse and mm-hmm. all of that and I just thought that was one of the strongest episodes of the season for me um, you know how did you how did that land for you yeah, I thought that was really great. Um, and, and just in general, everything with Cal this season, Cal and Nate this season, I'm glad that we got the the resolution that we did in the finale because I feel like the Nate character now needs to just have other things to do, other things to explore. And like now that Cal's out of the picture, like the, the purposes of Cal in Euphoria have been served through two seasons. So I'm glad that that call was made. But I think everything there is really good. The only thing that I was thinking about a lot more recently was Nate isn't as like overtly villainous and cartoonish almost like he was in season one. Still has a lot of menace to him, which Definitely. I think gives credit to Jacob Elordi as like this like kind of big hulking man. You know, he can seems to play it really well. But I'm now I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens in season three with Nate because everything with Nate this time around was more about like his internalized trauma and his struggle with his own psyche and shit, you know, and now that Cal's gone, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens, but they did a really good job of building out Cal as an antagonist in his own right. You know, I think really satisfying early on when you watch him get fucking pistol whipped by ashtray, you know, <laughs> and, you know, but uh, everything there was good. So and I think it sets up, interesting possibilities for Nate as well i'm extremely confused you're confused bro i'm fucking confused <laughs> another great tiktok uh sound um all right so we haven't really talked too much about zendaya and rue 
Uh, how did you feel about Rue's arc this season? Yeah, I mean, when Rue's going through it, she's not like a fun hang at all, dude. Can't no. stand her at times. Oh, yeah. I think that's that's not saying too much. Uh, Zendaya's really great when Rue is completely on one, tearing down her family when she's, you know, tweaking. And then later, when uh, she has, like, her mad dash to escape the, the police throughout town. I mean, that that's, like, really thrilling. And beforehand, when she's with her family, it's really gutting. Like, Zendaya is incredible in this performance. Already won an Emmy, you know, setting record as the youngest uh, winner for drama uh, lead actress. But I think there's just times where it's like, man, like, Rue, get your shit together. I'd rather watch, yeah. like, toxic teenagers like Maddie instead sometimes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we, we talked about this in other shows that explore addiction, but, um, you know, the ups and downs of, of addiction are just so gutting in general, and it yeah. really makes the characters super hard to hang when you when a show explores those ups and downs continuously, which is realistic, but just also really hard. Um, I do feel like, I felt like that I saw a lot about episode five which uh, certainly there's some awesome tv moments awesome filmmaking moments in general and that's and day is great the episode I, I didn't like that one as much i actually really liked a lot of the stuff in the episode afterwards where she's kind of like narrating a lot of the fallout talking about um you know when uh, ali comes over to make dinner and uh, her sister and the conversation her mom has with Ali and then kind of has with Rue at the end. Like if I have to choose between one dead daughter or two, I'm going to choose one. And like, just like super relatable, you know, they, she does the thing where she like cuts to talk about jewels and is like, actually let's not talk about jewels and just kind of like skips past <laughs> it. I thought that was great. And actually I think the, she got a lot of credit for her acting in that episode, but I think, the best in day acting of the whole thing is the final episode where yeah. her and Lexi are having the conversation on the floor. It's like by far the most emotional and just like blown away by Zendaya. Every, every time she can reach into her bag and pull this out, I'm just like, man, this is, this might be the next like Meryl Streep dude. Like, I mean, insane. even when she's listening to Elliot's song, it's just her face <laughs> and she's so emotive. Uh-huh. Like, that just speaks to how talented she is. She's like, yeah. watch her act without saying anything or moving. She's literally just standing there. And it's so expressive. You yeah. Know? Uh, it, like, it's almost like effortless for her. Like, I remember, I think like when we're watching the play and Rue's sitting in the seat watching it and she's like really like reacting to things that happen and stuff. I feel like that shit's so easy for Zendaya just to be like super expressive. Yeah. Um, and, and But and it, it goes it, so far. Yeah. And to do it in a way that's it's not only like, moving but also funny like the look that when she makes eye contact or or when she sees cassie about to enter in the final into the Mm. auditorium have her meltdown the face she makes is just like laugh out loud hilarious just like ooh, (laughs) this is not gonna be good um also just really want to give maude apatow a lot of credit i feel like yeah the the build out of lexi as a character this season the the use of her as a way to acknowledge rue's trauma and to like yeah. bring that friendship back together as obviously it's setting up, I think a Lexi kind of arc with Rue, hopefully in a supportive way for her. And and I think really recentering the show, you know, and, and like what the show is about and how, instead of it being about the, the stylist, the stylistic choices of how you portray these 
kids partying and using substances to like deal with their trauma, kind of like exploring it more through like friendships and how they get mm. each other through the trauma together rather than how they try to escape it. I thought it was just a really nice way to like end the season and set us up for uh, what seems like it's going to be a really great third season. I'm totally in on euphoria from here on out. Oh yeah, totally. You know, in the process, bringing more people in, spending time with people that we didn't spend a lot of time with last time, like Fez and Lexi. In the process, that means there's people that kind of get the short end of the stick here. Obviously, Cat is probably the worst, gets the worst of it. And uh, reportedly, if you check the Daily Beast's report on this, Barbie Ferreira had some onset altercations with Levinson, stormed off set more than once. So seem to be some disagreements about the character there, which is interesting to hear because most of the cast through two seasons have been really uh, uh, high in their praise for Levinson and how he lets them like internalize and work with their characters and stuff. So um, and, and even uh, Jules isn't in this season as much as you think. And when she is around, it's really just directly her relationship with Rue and yeah. reacting to things with Rue. And, I don't know if I would have expected that as much after how successful the Euphoria Jewel special was that we got, you know, during COVID. Um, I'm curious to see what happens with, with Jules moving forward because it seemed like Rue was uh, not interested in keep uh, resurrecting the relationship at the end of the finale here. Obviously that can change, but uh, I mean, Hunter Safer has been a big part of the show thus far. So that'd be, that'd be, that'd be a choice to like, sideline her moving forward or even have her you know go off the show um, yeah I, I mean i think if if i don't know how many more seasons this is going to go i have to imagine levinson's probably going to want to do other stuff I, I don't know if these actors I mean, want to keep doing this because right, they're all key. going upwards so i i wouldn't be surprised if season three ends up being the last season i think if if it's exploring rue's sobriety uh she really can't be in a relationship with Jules, at least not right now, kind of the same way she said to Dominic Fike, like, yeah, you know, you, you're not the one good that for said, each other. Yeah, we're not good for each other. So uh, it's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, the show is more than doubled its viewers from season one to two when you count like re like re airings and stuff. Like the season two premiere has over 17 million viewers. Like the show is huge. And it's a huge streaming show too. Eighty percent of its viewers are watching this on HBO Max. Uh, for context, like Mayor of Easttown and White Lotus was like fifty to sixty percent. So it's a huge streaming show. It's a huge show in general. You can see that online. I, I think HBO would love to keep this going, but like you and, and Zendaya is a producer on this, so she might have some vested interest in keeping it going too. But. I mean, it is going to get to the point where they're not exactly going to look like high school kids anymore. Yeah. Uh, I believe Alexa Demi is like almost 30, as it is. She, she's actually a lot older than she looks already. So um, on the other hand, it'd be sick to see them go to college. I don't know if they're going to go there, but that'd be cool. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll be talking about it. Any last thoughts or you ready to move on? No, let's go. Let's go to Cyrano. Let's go to our guy, Cyrano. Uh, Styrno de Bergerac at your service, the one and only. My guy, man. I mean, this is the the father 
right? Uh, the 2022 version of the of the father, 2021 version of the father, a movie that's been talked about for awards, but mm. kind of being released very close, uh, wide release, very close to the actual Oscars. And so a lot of buzz for this. We're finally seeing it. Dave, did Cyrano live up to the hype for you? Yeah. Like you said, a long time coming, right? I think the, the key difference, though, is the father came out from Sony Pictures Classics, who are much more experienced in this kind of like late season awards push. United Artists put out Cyrano after delaying it several times. And I think it definitely just kind of missed its mark, missed its timing. You can see that in the box office. I just think this movie should have come out sooner. But there's still a lot of anticipation for it, as you said. And I did enjoy it. You know, I didn't really know too much of like where this one's supposed to go. I mean, there's a lot of like Cyrano de Bergerac beats people are familiar with, whether they know the name or not, just because the the original, you know, stage adaptation has been done many times and also it's kind of been done in derivative fashion many times as well. So it's like the the core the core plot mechanics people are pretty familiar with. But this of course is a musical version of it, doing something different, adapting the recent uh, 2018 musical version of Cyrano. So obviously I haven't seen that play. I also haven't seen any of the other past works. So it's going in with an open mind and I did enjoy it. I, I think the, the best parts about it, it would be Dinklage's performance of Cyrano, obviously, but also just really impressive uh, production design. This was shot uh, in Sicily and has a lot of wow moments going on, but it's probably going to be uh, perhaps a tougher sell to some people because the music here from the National, from the Desners, not exactly like what you think of Rodgers and Hammerstein show tunes when you think of you know musical songs. It's it's much more somber, emotional shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the the music was interesting because I felt like it kind of like came and went and it w- didn't truly commit to the musical aspect it kind of yeah. was, picked its spot a lot of choruses it's like verses and like it's like talking in, in song almost it's yeah it's differently different obviously trying to use some of the dialogue from the adaptation in a musical way which is you know it, some of it works some of it didn't i thought like the the soldier song you know yeah. um you know, if we die here this wherever is i fall yeah, that was, that was, that was a great one. That was a really, <laughs> really great musical moment. Some of the other stuff, not so much. But, um, you know, I, I, like you, I went in with an open mind. I I had heard of the play. I didn't really know much about it, but uh, I hadn't seen any of the, any of the adaptations. Uh, in reading about it, I do think it's interesting that the choice in this is to have a, um, you know, Peter Dinklage play as a short person rather than a person with a big nose as the yeah. like deformity or whatever makes him unattractive to a, like a typically traditional yeah. person. Um, and I, I definitely loved Dinklage's performance of this. I thought he was by far the most compelling part. Um, you know, you get a couple other big name people here, Ben Mendelsohn. I thought, uh, just in a very like villainous role almost like yeah he, two, he does one. that in his sleep at this point yeah and he was he was fine i just didn't really think he like did anything spectacular in this i didn't really like the performance of christian 
played by Calvin Harrison, just kind of fell flat for me. Yeah, um, tough from Calvin Harrison Jr. because he he's been getting shots up, man. He he's he's a really good actor, but uh, yeah, his presence is. It's almost like he has to be uncharismatic for how the Christian character is written, and in the in the process, he's just a lot less compelling than yeah. Cyrano is. So yeah, yeah, t- tough stuff there. I think definitely some tough stuff. And uh, yeah, I thought Haley Bennett was fine, and so I, I kind of like was like, oh, there's some there's some stuff here for this to be a movie that I really liked, and I just didn't end up liking it all that much. I. I I don't know what it was. It looked great. Um, I think there's some really like fun moments, but overall I felt like the movie just kind of like was missing something. Hmm. I don't know. It's hard yeah. to put my finger on it. Well, I, I, feel, I feel like the best parts about it, it's more about moments. Like I think early on when you have that uh, theater scene, when Cyrano like kicks out the other actor, that right. scene I think is awesome. The crowd is like super energetic. The kind of he has that like that fencing duel, really rapid fire dialogue, almost Hamilton esque in its familiarity. Mm-hmm. I thought that scene was good. Dinklage is absolutely incredible when he's talking to Roxanne, thinks mm-hmm. she's about to profess her love to him, and realize no, she's about to tell him about Christian. Yeah, the the run of emotions that you see on Dinklage's face as he's talking to Roxanne there's really good. You have the scene, the, probably one of the more famous scenes too from this this play this story the balcony scene yep where Cyrano tells uh christian what to say and then starts speaking himself basically uh emotional moments there and then as we said the stuff with the soldiers at the very end when they're like fighting the spanish productions designs incredible there they literally made that on a fucking volcano like it looks so good you get that national song which is like super haunting and dark i like all that stuff following the christian death scene but like those are like what four four distinct moments and everything else is like kind of like like weirdly melodramatic but still kind of inert to me and i think because i like the production design so much and dinklage is so good i can like get over it but yeah it's almost like uh it's like it just has like some beats beats to it and everything else and it's kind of like you know a little more met on like the the side plots with like Ben Mendelsohn as like the villain, it's just it's not as interesting as anything else going on. So, yeah, I, I think it, it's definitely like up and down, but like those highs, I think are like really, really well done. And uh, just kind of, I think shout out to Joe Wright for like having the vision to like adapt this. You know, he's he he's a really interesting director because he has such amazing highs and such lows as well. You know, he's his last, most recent movie was The Woman in the Window. <laughs> you know, which. Uh, was really bad but then to just immediately rush into making Cyrano in the middle of COVID and actually having it I think turn out the way it did it's still kind of impressive to me even if I don't think the movie is 100% successful yeah you know you mentioned Dinklage and the, those moments that really stood out I think he is just like the driving force behind this and um you know I, I struggled like is this Oscar worthy? Um, obviously, wasn't nominated to the performance, but I think it was probably up there, probably a top yeah. ten performance mm-hmm. of the year. Um, it was nominated at the Golden Globes for a musical, uh, yeah, you know, performance by a lead in a musical uh, or comedy. It, it's and his best role post Thrones for sure. Yeah, it also feels like Halle Bennett. I mean, you mentioned Calvin Harris Jr. 
the guy who will certainly have a successful career, but it feels like Hallie Bennett, uh, really good look for her. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of like other things. I mean, she's in Hillbilly Elegy, I guess, but right. I think everybody in that probably well, doesn't want to talk about that anymore. Well, uh, the exactly. devil all the time also. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah. Like she's, 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 she's around for sure. It's actually kind of funny how Cyrano is such a family affair because the 2018 musical, uh, version was created by Erica Schmidt. And Erica Schmidt is Dinklage's wife. And Dinklage, of course, performed in that musical alongside Hallie Bennett, who is Joe Wright's uh, partner and uh, mother of his child. So this is kind of funny how like all these connections kind of came to a fore to uh, to get this get this made. But I, I think it, it, you know what what Erica did when she made this version of Cyrano, replacing. Cyrano Bergerac's ugliness, like with a big nose, with him being a short person, I think is really smart to improve, I think, the audience reception to the Cyrano character, because I think it's a lot easier to sympathize with Cyrano's insecurities, because they're a lot more believable that he would be so insecure, despite how capable and talented he actually is. I think it's uh, like that kind of messaging i think is really effective and i think you if you take this and you you know watch one of the other cyrano's with like kevin klein or christopher Plummer or whatever i haven't seen these but like i have to think this just might emotionally hit just a little better than someone who's disappointed because his nose is big so having peter dinklage a world-class performer bring all that you know with him uh, goes a long way too but I think that was a really uh, uh, important choice and perhaps a choice that only can be made for if you're getting Dinklage to be Sierra yeah. after all. So I, but. I was going to say, if you can get Dinklage to play the role, that, that's a smart choice. If not, sure. uh, I, I, I get it. But, ah, man, I don't know. I think that, I mean, is there any more thoughts for you on this? I, I kind of left just kind of being like, eh, didn't really impress me much. You know, I got to say, we mentioned wherever I fall, which is the the soldiers' song at the end. I also I like this uh, something to say, some, something to say, someone to say, something to say reprise like that second time they sing it, which is in the trailer. Something about that, like when when they all sing it and you have like the background like like vocals too, and like Christian singing it too. Like I, I'm not I'm not a national guy. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the Destiners, but like. I don't know. Like, I actually really enjoy that track. Yeah, you know, um, they. I, if you didn't know that that they did this soundtrack, um, you would figure it out pretty quickly because it it sounds like like the national wrote these songs. So, right. yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I I do think that the music had its moments. Like, it kind of kind of like the rest of the movie. Like, there were moments when it worked worked really well. Moments where I just was like, oh, boy, this right. is tough. Yeah. It's, it almost like didn't commit enough to everything. I guess almost mm-hmm. kind of like it wasn't quite Shakespeare. It wasn't quite, you know, a stage adaptation. It was kind of like in the middle of everything. It felt like whatever. Right. Yeah. Still, still worth the watch. I'd say check it out. 2.4 million at the box office. That's, that's so sad. Need, need to yeah. get people out and see this stuff. I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of people were talking like this should have at least come out during Valentine's day weekend. Yes. <laughs> Like at the latest, because this was supposed to come out in late January. They kept pushing it back due to, you know, Omicron or fear of Spider-Man. But like with adult dramas, as we know, like 
it's hard to get the people that are going to watch these movies out of the box office right now. So you can't like fuck up your marketing and your, and your release and they fucked it up. Yeah. Well, they're really going to fuck it up because this is going to have no tail, no, no life, no shelf life because the Batman comes out just next week. So that's right. Oh, God. Anyways, what, uh, what else are we going to be talking about next week other than the Batman? So I just want to know after Yang is, is coming out in theaters starting Friday as well. I'm sure that's a limited release from A24. We've already talked about that due to Sundance. So check that out if you do get to see after Yang. Obviously, Matthew Reeves, the Batman starring Robert Pattinson is finally coming out, which will take over the box office from Spider-Man and dominate for the next month at least because there's not a lot of other movies coming out in March. But we also get a HBO's Showtime Lakers show, Winning Time, from Adam McKay coming out. And on Hulu, the latest run in uh, these kind of like historical adaptations in the vein of Ryan Murphy, we get The Dropout, the Amanda Seyfried starring Elizabeth Holmes Hulu miniseries. So, and some other stuff coming as well. But The Batman and Winning Time, I think, are two hotly anticipated things that we'll get to. Can't wait to talk about them. Uh, SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod is the old school way to find us. You now want mm. to find us at YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod and give us that five-star rating on Spotify. Catch you next week. Yeah.